Psalm 2 Why do the nations conspire, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. Kiss his feet, or he will be angry, and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. I'm really grateful to be here with you in person this morning. Last time I preached here, it was to a camera. And so I'm really pleased that there are so many of us on Zoom this morning and also here in person. So this can be more of a conversation. And, and a special thank you to everyone who works with the tech. Because even though, as Dave says, Jesus is still Lord, if there are glitches in the sound or the video, it makes all the difference in this area of online worship. So a special thank you to those who make it happen. If these morning scripture texts sound familiar to you, it's because they've both been used in worship in recent weeks. When Pastor Dave asks me to fill in, it's usually weeks or even months in advance, and he gives me a wide berth on what scripture passages to use. So sometimes that means you get the same texts within a few weeks of each other. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that because the Holy Spirit is present and if I have been paying attention, Dave's and my interpretations of these passages are going to build on each other. I'm grateful for friends and colleagues like him where we can help each other out and also have a good laugh because that can help us through some surprising and challenging times. A number of years ago, a colleague and I had an epic, how did you survive seminary conversation? Of course, as you might guess, our seminary years, there was a lot of prayer and meditation and scripture study, but if we're honest, there was also a lot of Monty Python and the Terminator movies. And there were lots of little ways we survived seminary by giving and receiving encouragement to our friends and also to ourselves. And this friend of mine mentioned something that I've never forgotten, and I think I've mentioned it before in sermons, and it's that he kept a post-it note in his closet, and on it were written three words, God is bigger. No matter what was going on in his life, every time he got dressed or ready to go somewhere, every time he got ready for bed, he was reminded, literally, that God is bigger bigger than any theological box or interpretation, bigger than any question humans could ask, bigger than a tired student's struggle or self-doubt. The phrase, God is bigger, does not promise protection from pain and confusion, 
And it doesn't remove the need for growth and struggle for justice in the world, but God is bigger is good news because we are not bound by our ideas, our interpretations, even of God or our place in the world. One of the ways I get reminded that God is bigger is learning from different Christian traditions and writers, especially about passages of scripture that are familiar to me. This past Lent, my mother-in-law's Episcopal congregation read a book called Seasons of the Spirit, written by a man named Martin Smith. She was so excited about it that I got my own copy, and I really recommend it. One of the chapters I read in the book reflects on the story of Mary and Martha. Scripture tells us explicitly that Jesus loves Martha, her sister Mary, and their brother Lazarus. When Jesus arrives, Martha makes herself busy serving a meal, and it seems like she's used to going all out to please others, and there's no one she is more anxious to please than her friend the prophet. But Smith points out that her busyness is not peaceful. It is agitated, and it's maybe a bit resentful. <laughs> Martha's resentment boils over, actually, and she says pointedly, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And Martin Smith wonders if Martha has so identified herself completely with her talent of serving and hospitality that she assumes this is the only way to be with Jesus, and she's missing out. But this isn't true, because of course there are other ways, such as simply sitting with him and learning from him like Mary does. Martha tries to get Jesus on her side to send Mary to help her, because things aren't going Martha's way. But he doesn't. Instead, he offers her an alternative. He doesn't tell Martha she's unfaithful. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with serving in itself. But he does point out to Martha that she has become distracted by her duties and it has led her astray this time. I think Jesus is showing her that her role of serving, that this identity in God can be bigger Martha's invited to connect with him, to connect with others in another way for now. He doesn't say, don't be you, Martha. He says, focus. I need you. Jesus is taking the radical step of training women as disciples. And Mary has chosen to sit at his feet as a disciple. She's deepening her knowledge of the kingdom in his company, and no one has the right to interfere with this call, not for Mary and not for Martha. Martin Smith suggests that this story resonates with so many people because Martha's distraction with serving is a very common compulsion of modern life. So many of us wanna be constantly productive or we've been taught to assume, especially if we're female, that fulfilling other people's wants and needs will guarantee their approval of us and that's what gives us worth in the world, or maybe even in God's eyes. And to stop can set off voices of disapproval, maybe within us or coming at us from outside, that won't stop until we start working again or trying to impress people. I know it does for me sometimes. But God is bigger than our place. God is calling us to discipleship in all kinds of ways. What would happen if we expanded our notions of what serving God looks like? It might be uncomfortable. 
But what if God's bigger than the ways we've always done it? And where does our focus really need to be anyway? Here's how Martin Smith imagines what happens next. After Jesus calls Martha to come on over and have a seat. He writes, in my imagination, I feel Martha's cheeks burning and sense her confusion as she responds to Jesus' gesture, inviting her to come and sit with Mary. She listens as Jesus picks up the thread of his teaching and her heartbeat slows down. She has to struggle to shake off the anxiety about how the food must surely be burning or going to waste by now, but simply by sitting, she finds herself intrigued by Jesus' message again. And almost in spite of herself, she starts to memorize his sayings. And later on, as the three of them discuss yet another new parable over the one course that Jesus has asked for, she realizes that she too can be a student and a confidant of Jesus, not only the perfect hostess. And if you're curious, this is not the last time Martha and Jesus verbally spar a little bit. You can check it out in John chapter 11. Can we believe that God is bigger than who we understand we are? About what we think makes us valuable as a person or as a worker or as a sister or a brother? What if God were bigger than any of those and is calling us beyond what we understand ourselves to be? And if we step out of what's expected of us, what if instead of divine judgment, there's divine delight? Last Sunday, Krista preached on Jesus healing the bent-over woman, and she pointed out this woman doesn't even have a name in the Bible. She's probably thought of and treated like a label, the cripple, the bent-over woman. But Jesus seeks her out and gives her back her rightful name as a daughter of the covenant. In Jesus' sight, she is a person, not a label, or one way of being. I think this means we shouldn't limit ourselves by those labels we put on ourselves or even that others put on us. We should also look beyond ourselves to those we label or might be tempted to look beyond. Who are those labeled ones? Who do we think of as those who insert the name of a political party here or a race or a disability? Who do we think of as not God's created people but as their function or maybe as a group to control? God is bigger than that very human tendency. If we look around us, there are lots of examples of where power and control have led to domination and oppression. They could be right out of Psalm 2, actually. Pastor Dave preached in Psalm 1 a few weeks ago. It begins, happy is the one who, and it gives us a recipe for living and describes the joy of a life fully lived trusting in God's promises. And with Psalm 2, the circle widens a bit beyond the individual and their circle to humanity in general. And this psalm describes the nations that conspire and the people that are plotting and kings and rulers that are setting themselves at the center, taking their own counsel instead of God's. And that is a disaster, and it always has been. When the focus shifts from service and the gospel, our energy instead is used to maintain power and control and dominance and the status quo, which keeps people in bondage. We have a divine call to resist this, to look at our communities and to look in the mirror and ask, does what we see reflect that God is bigger than I or that we, and that we're not in the center of the story? 
Now, I can't think of anything more powerful to literally illustrate the bigness of God than the images that are beamed back to us on Earth from NASA's James Webb Telescope. Over the last 25 years, thousands of people from 14 countries created and eventually launched this telescope. And it's sending us images of space that are unprecedented. My favorite is this one that should be coming up on the screen shortly. It's called the Cosmic Cliffs of the Carina Nebula. Special thanks to Thad Crow, who helped get this photo up and loaded when I didn't even know where to begin. <laughs> what we're looking at here are gases and stars and blinding lights and stellar winds. And until now, all of these details were completely hidden from our view because we couldn't see through the thick dust and gas that were surrounding everything. But the web infrared cameras literally pierced the veil of dust and gas. And it's fascinating to me that we can see things now that have always been there. It's just that now we have new tools. And as I've looked at this image, I want to compare it in my mind to other things that might feel a little bit more familiar, like the inside of a geode that's been cut open and polished, or maybe even the colors of the Grand Canyon. But those comparisons are completely inadequate because what we're looking at is so much bigger and mysterious than anything anyone has ever seen before. All of those hills and the valleys and the spikes are kind of puzzles that have to be solved. And one NASA scientist says, we see structures that honestly, we don't even know what they are. There's so much going on here and it's so beautiful. The greatest scientific minds among us are giving us poetry in light of completely new data. That seems like God's bigness at work to me. God's bigness calling us, like all people who have come before us, to reflect on what we see and experience and allow it to shape how we understand ourselves and each other in new ways. Another scientist said, these images including the deepest infrared view of our universe that has ever been taken, will help to uncover the answers to questions we don't even yet know how to ask. Questions that will help us better understand our universe and humanity's place within it. This is great news because God is bigger than who we've known ourselves to be up until now. And years of cooperation and effort have brought us literally new eyes and new ways of seeing. And now we get to wrestle with how much we don't know. God gives us these invitations over and over again to build our world more fully into the mystery of God and the gospel. And another NASA scientist says that in the telescope's vision, there's no blank sky. Everywhere the Webb telescope looks, it sees distant galaxies. There's no blank sky. There's no blank part of the human experience because God is bigger. This gives me hope because I wonder what we as a human family can do with this knowledge. What will we see in the next 25 years? And what will that mean? The Psalms and the gospel tell us that we have an opportunity to use this awe and this wonder and this knowledge for good. Things can go better for more of creation if we can let go of our determination to hold our own interpretations, our own roles, our own power at the center. Because if we can collaborate with others about what questions to ask and where their answers might lead, 
I choose to be hopeful about this, not because I believe people always do the right thing. I'm hopeful because God offers us possibilities to be more faithful and courageous. Jesus visits his friends Mary and Martha, who are both giants of faith and friendship. He offers them possibilities for who they can be, not just in their household, but in the story of God in Christ. Fourteen countries worked for 25 years to design and build a mechanism for showing us unprecedented images of the universe. Imagine what we can do in the next 25. God is bigger than all of our categories, expectations, and identities. There is far, far, far more going on than we can know about or even see. And that's exactly where Jesus is always found, among the mystery and our questions and our not knowing and our surprise and our working together to discern what it all means. As people of faith, we can resist the desire to explain and to lock down systems and ways of being and to rely on labels and categories based on our own limited sight. We get to live the questions and the questions about the questions because God's amazing stuff is out there and it always has been. We're always offered the invitation to work together, to build on our traditions and with the confidence that God is bigger and calling us to something bigger in faith as Pastor Dave says, beyond our own stunted imaginations. <laughs> That's what it means to follow Jesus. As individuals and families and as nations and as a world, we're learning, we're discerning our place in God's creation as it's revealed to us. And we can live into all of this with trust and hope in God, not just our own limited sight. We don't know what we'll find in the future Jesus leads us into, but that's why we're doing this together. May he be at the center of all that we do and say and imagine this day and in the days to come. Amen.